0: Welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories
1: for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. I was exploited by her from 15 to 19. At the age of 18, she did introduce me to a male escort service owner. He referred to himself as a pimp, but he did not seem abusive at the time. And at this time... You know, by the age of 17, I was fully in the life. I identified in the life and that was just where I was now.
0: This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you.
2: I'm Sona. I'm a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, a tiny house enthusiast, and a cereal foodie.
0: And I'm Dixie. I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and
2: passionate worshiper. Our guest today is Kiana Wheatley. She is a survivor of domestic minor sex trafficking, she is also had been part of the criminal justice system and the federal criminal justice system. Kiana is an author, an advocate, and a founder of the nonprofit Restorative Community Concepts. Hey, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Good. We are so glad that you're here, and we cannot wait to hear more about you.
1: I am currently um, living here in Ohio. I live in Worcester, Ohio. My husband and I just got a four and a half acre property. So we've got our house in the front yard and the backyard. And then the other side of the property, there is a large garage with a lobby in it. So I founded Restorative Community Concepts, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on resources for survivors of sex trafficking and exploitation prison reentry and low income charitable auto services. We are using that building over there and I just got it all cleaned out and I'm working on getting the store open by May hopefully. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. Wow.
2: That is and a lot of work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so-
2: well, that's really cool. So how did you get involved in fighting trafficking then?
1: I survived exploitation and the resources were not good enough. I combed through resources, just looking for a way that I could no longer work in the commercial sex industry in any capacity. Um, You know, I was done being exploited and then I worked for some years as an escort because I didn't see the value in myself and neither did society. Mm-hmm. Um, and many obstacles were in my way. So then mm-hmm. I, when I finally left that lifestyle because, you know, it just wasn't for me. It was never meant for me anyway. That was mm-hmm. not my portion in life. So mm-hmm. then I go to stripping and doing webcams, and that is a degenerate form of prostitution. And mm-hmm. I wanted out. I met an org that was in Las Vegas and we talked and they offered some resource and actually they were some of the better resources, you know, um, many grants that were able to sustain some of my legal bills and things like that. And as I kind of searched, I noticed that a lot of these people are just poverty pimps. Um, you know, that org was good, but I went to another one. And one of the rules was that I had to live there. First of all, I was not in crisis for homelessness, Mm -hmm. but they thought that it would be a good idea to have me as a head in there since the place wasn't as flourishing as, you know, they had hoped. And so, okay, um, I have an open mind. And my then fiance, now husband was supportive, so I went to stay there, and it was a hot mess. Um, They wanted my ID and my cell phone, and I was not allowed to have those things while I was staying there. Um, And the phone calls were monitored, and you had to have an approved phone call list. I understand, you know, that there are safety issues where people may not be able to do this and that, but, Mm taking my identification documents and locking them away was very reminiscent and traumatic of my trafficker. So, um, you know, I was just like, why are there all these barriers? Um, Mm -hmm. When somebody needs help, they shouldn't have to go through an obstacle course and jump through all these different hoops to get resources. Um, Mm -hmm. I needed help. And then this one lady, I got approved for this $1,500 grant. There was this big thing, and everybody was getting it. And the lady didn't like me. She was very, she ended up getting fired the next day. But, um, you know, she did chase me out of there. And I was able to reapply for that same grant under different circumstances. But you definitely had to be a part of some of these programs to receive some of these services. So, mm-hmm. um, her bad attitude and mistreatment of me made me decide to go home and then made me ineligible for a grant that I needed. I got federal criminal charges for the second time um, for a failure to register as a sex offender because I didn't know the law in the area. I'm $11,000 deep in lawyer bills, excuse me, and that money could help me. And she just um, didn't see me as the human being that I was trying to better my situation.
2: Mm -hmm. She saw
1: me as somebody that she could degrade and pick on because me staying there to her meant that I was less than. And Mm -hmm. I just got tired of stuff like that. Long, Long story long, I decided to, you know, see if I could refer clients to the places that work and eventually facilitate a model that works
2: for mm-hmm. survivors. Yeah, sure. I definitely understand that. Cause I mean, I've done a lot of work in the field on both the homeless side and the other side. And sometimes you feel like you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Cause it's the only space that you have. And that doesn't mean that it's right for the person to be able to actually get stabilized. Well, we would love to hear more about your story, whatever you are comfortable sharing.
1: Yes. I wrote my whole book, uh, Being Kiana Marshall, Mm -hmm. um, Surviving Sex Trafficking in the Criminal Justice System. And so what my life story in that book is about is how I was a naive teenager who picked up a babysitting gig and then ended up being exploited. I have... um, A dysfunctional family. My mother was um, physically aggressive towards me during my teenage years. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we did not get along. We didn't see eye to eye. I was always sneaking out and running away. I've been running away since the age of 12. Um, My stepfather wasn't in the home because he was in prison. And I didn't meet my real father up until like last year. No Mm -hmm. lie. And so with stuff like that going on, Um, when I went to babysit, it was like a break from that. And the person I was babysitting for owned Anchorage, Alaska's largest escort service. Um, She had three illicit massage parlors, two brothels, and a full page ad in the phone book. And she had a website. She had the whole thing going. And so I didn't think that was going to... That didn't matter to me. I've met drug dealers. I've met other people living in the criminal lifestyle because that's the kind of people we knew. That's the way I grew mm-hmm. up. So All I didn't right. really think much of it. Um, then she had me answering her phones while I babysat. So now I'm running the escort service as a 15-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Um, she taught me how to book a call. Um, she's telling me these are the ladies that are, and gentlemen sometimes mm-hmm. that are available for tonight. And Mm -hmm. so she taught me how to book a call and arrange for prostitution services to be facilitated. And so I did that. And she told me that I would get $10 per call that I successfully booked. And rarely did she, she only would pay me like $20 for the whole night for three kids. You know, I'm missing school in the morning or showing up late to school, or I Mm -hmm. have to use that $20 to take a cab, Yeah, but I hate being at home. So I'm taking the abuse because mm-hmm. it's better than being home. And I'm allowed to drink over here, have my friends over here, smoke marijuana over here. She's providing mm-hmm. those things to me. Right. So I'm having a great time. Um, then she started picking me up early from school in a sports car. Um, then she started letting me borrow clothes that were nice looking to wear to school, things that I would not normally buy myself or right. my mother buy me. Um, so I fell in love with her. I thought this was my best friend. Yeah. Right. And, you know, she sent me to a hotel with a pair of scissors and told me, if you go in this room and cut this girl's hair off, because I don't like her, I know she's in there, I'll give you $150. I don't have any money. I'm 15 years old. Right. What are you doing? You know, we're in a hotel at like Mm -hmm. three in the morning, like just straight weird, you know? And so... Then she goes to jail for a little bit. So I'm watching her kids and she has a mm-hmm. girlfriend. So um, her girlfriend is watching the kids somewhat, but her girlfriend drinks and parties and does drugs a lot. So she wanted me over there mm-hmm. to make sure the kids got to school and this and that. Sure. So then her girlfriend decides to provide me with some of these stronger drugs that I've never tried before and mm-hmm. convinces me to go on an out call. Mm-hmm. Oh no What the business is, but I never, um, you know, for many months I never engaged myself, and sure. so then I went. I did not succeed at collecting the money, and when this madam, I guess we'll call her, um, I, in my in my book, her name is Trina. We'll call her Trina. Okay. Um, when she gets out of jail, instead of you know maybe stop communication with me, maybe telling my mom, oh my goodness, something happened over here. Instead of that, um, she says, okay, I know you went on this call and you didn't get the money. And now you owe me some money and then I'm fining you for stepping out of order. I guess now I'm suddenly in this debt where I'm owing her like a few hundred dollars. Right. And I, she's like, but it's okay. Um, I know a lot of men that will see you. I have a lot of regulars since you're not 18. We can't take you to hotels yet unless I know the person at the hotel. And so she's telling me how she will exploit me and which ways I was more exploitable And she um, even had me, I wouldn't say I recruited friends from high school, but I had some friends that did come and babysit with me. And, you know, because me and my best friend were like this. We spend the night at each other's house every single day, Mm -hmm. school year or not. Me and my best friend, it's like, we live together. You have two daughters was pretty much what both of our parents knew. Right. We're either over here or we're over there. Mm -hmm. And so, and she was with me while I was babysitting. Um, she was also exploited,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and she didn't remain in the life. Um, we probably cut ties around age 18 for me, you know, but that I've known that girl since probably kindergarten or second grade, you know, and then she comes over here and gets exploited. And so that was how things started off with me in the commercial sex industry, um, I was exploited by her from 15 to 19. At the age of 18, she did introduce me to a male escort service owner. He referred to himself as a pimp, but he did not seem abusive at the time. And at this time, you know, Mm -hmm. by the age of 17, I was fully in the life. I identified in the life and that was just where I was now. Thanks for joining us today.
0: If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience and would like to support our efforts, join our Patreon team. In addition to exclusive benefits, you will also be listed as an anti-trafficking advocate on each episode of our podcast. Bring Freedom's live anti-trafficking equipping event is coming up March 30th through April 1st. Sign up for the Vision and Intention Challenge today. You don't want to miss this. And now
2: we will jump back back in to our interview with Kiana Marshall.
1: And so I meet this character and then I did some outcalls for him. We did a 50-50 split and then I never heard from him again. And it was nothing that I thought Mm -hmm. would be an issue. So Mm -hmm. at the age of 19, she goes to jail for trafficking. An -hmm. underage girl that she did get caught trafficking. Right. Um, She actually told an undercover officer who came in posing as the juvenile's boyfriend that if he wanted to take her out this weekend, that he would need to provide her with $1,800 because that's what the girl would make if she wasn't wasting time with him. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, and she was just drunk talking smack. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if he would do it, she would take it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they got that on recorder and she ended up going to jail for two years. And during this two years, she's trying to get me to run her escort service. And she's telling me that um, they owe $5,000 to the foam bill company. She made money hand over fist like i never seen before in my life. You right. know, she's the type of person to have 10 grand cash on her at any time, five grand on her. And, you know, I never seen that. So mm-hmm. to me, that was like, whoa, you're rich. But she never paid her bills. She was behind five months on her rent in her nice apartment. And mm-hmm. she would just give lip service to her landlords. She would give lip service to the phone books. Um, she was exploiting her children by putting the cable bills and other utilities in her, un- her small children's names. Oh, wow. And she was just, she was ruthless. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, I, she was about 30 when I was 15 when she recruited me. So now I'm fast forward. I'm 19. I'm Mm -hmm. developed a substance abuse habit. I'm living in a hotel. I'm Mm -hmm. still making hand over fist, but I'm spending about a thousand dollars a day on drugs.
2: Right.
1: And she wants me to run her escort service. I say no. And then she tells me that if I run the service and I pay off the $5,000 phone book bill that she's been avoiding forever and could always afford, that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to pay any service fees. And that was manipulation because why would I need to pay service fees if I'm giving a hundred percent of my money into this $5,000 bill? Right. You know? And so at first I was like, Oh great, no service fees. And then I was like, hold on, you know? Yeah. Um, and so since she wasn't there to manipulate me, I mean, she'd been physically violent to me and very manipulative to me. I didn't. And that four years was a bumpy four years of me escaping and returning. It wasn't just me sitting there looking stupid when people ask why didn't you leave? You know, people love to ask that. And so finally, I'm 19. She's nowhere to be found. Um, You know, she has exploited me to the maximum and I break away. And Mm -hmm. now all I know at 19 years old is the commercial sex industry. So I went up to Fairbanks, Alaska from Anchorage where this all surfaced. Mm -hmm. And I'm on Craigslist now. Doing out calls and in calls, and then um, that is when Sabil Mujahid, which um, later in life turned out to be my co-defendant, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, saw me online, and then that's when um, another exploitation ship, as I would call it, um, occurred, and that lasted with um, escaping and returning for a couple of years, of course, and. Mm-hmm. When the FBI indicted him, um, one day I was on on my way over there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's saying all the right things to get me to come back over after a hiatus due to his violence. And so now I'm an idiot on my way back over. And while I'm in the cab, the whole place is surrounded by FBI and police vehicles. So I just tapped the cab driver and I was like, we need to turn back around. (laughs) And I got away. And I was so happy. Mm -hmm. And... He was trying to manipulate me on the phone, the same as Trina had tried, because when they go to jail, um, in my book, I talk about how pimping don't stop. Right. Um, yeah. So pimping don't stop. And that meant also, while he was not indicted yet, Trina was in jail mm-hmm. selling women to him for 200 a pop, desperate addicts who are desperate to get out and get their next fix and would do anything to get out of jail. And so she referred those women straight to him and they had a business going. Wow. Yeah. In prison. She's selling women in prison. And she was going to become a co conspirator in this FBI case. And she told me to talk to the police and tell them that she wasn't involved and hardly knew him. And I said, I want no parts. And so um, she made sure that I was, you know, um, The snitching thing isn't about who did what's right and who did what's wrong. It's about who's providing the information to the police. So Mm -hmm. although it is well known that she exploited me at the age of 15, she was still able to turn around and tell on 19, 20-year-old me and get completely free from any of these charges. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's shocking. (laughs) What? Yes. And... I mean, so now
2: point, it's, though, the statute of limitations hadn't expired on what she had done to you.
1: Right. And That's, it was known yeah. and it was called into the tip line. It was spoken upon. And um, while I was in court, um, the judge was like, you know, after what this person did to you. And so they knew it. They just didn't go after it. They knew it and didn't pursue it. It was not an issue for them. Um, You know, on the other hand, somebody like me, who, as a young woman, did not have a good rapport with the police. Um, Anchorage mm-hmm. police are sexually inappropriate, mm-hmm. and they do haze and degrade what they see as prostitutes. When really, these are women who may be exploited, whether right. they're being exploited through poverty or they're being exploited through a pimp or an escort service. It doesn't matter. But yeah, they would um, pick on me. They would. They called me a whore, little girl. They would say things like, "Hey." You don't need to worry because your pimp's coming to get you. Like, your pimp will be right here to pick you up. And saying things like that, um, really picking on me big time.
2: And they were able to
1: to run this case and put me in federal prison. So six months later, you know, I'm happy. I've got a six months. I'm not doing great, but I'm not being abused. I'm still being exploited, but I'm not being abused by this abuser. And Mm -hmm. one day my cousin was like, you can't come home. Um, you're all over the news. Oh. And I saw myself on the news and I was wanted in a sex trafficking case and I was in trouble. Um, I wouldn't say that I recruited anybody and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I collected money, but anything you do, I mean, is under a guideline of conspiracy. Right. So, you know, I didn't, I mean, and to pick and choose what I did and didn't do, what I did was still illegal, like um, paying the phone bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were also other women there doing the same thing. And I don't know what stuck out about me, that they decided that it was okay for me to get him that and go to federal prison alongside my abuser.
0: I wonder if it was the phone bills. Oh no, it was um business expense, you know. The-
1: yeah, no, I paid the phone bills, I took the cars to the mechanic. No, those things are no doubt conspiracy.
2: Mm-hmm. But the
1: thing is, many other women did it.
2: Yeah. Okay. And
1: you know, um, yes, I am engaging in prostitution, yes, I'm paying the bills, yes, that's what this abuse is about. Right. <laughs> this is what this is what's going on, this is the exploitation. So mm-hmm. um You know, I know that the police did not like me. I know that this was definitely an opportunity to show me that. I mean, that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still, you know, and it's on my record. Um, Mm -hmm. I was told that if I did not plead guilty, that I would have to serve on just one of the 23 counts that I showed up in. There was a 52 count indictment. I show up in 23 and if I did not plead guilty or I know if I was found guilty on just one of those 23 charges, then I would have to serve a mandatory minimum sentence of 20 years in prison.
0: Wow. So they talked you into pleading guilty? Yeah.
2: Now, were you offered like a public defendant or anybody? Um, was- yeah,
1: I did get a public defender and he was not, he was treating me like I wasn't a child of God, Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't cool. Um, He was definitely belittling me, making fun of me. And when I did talk about my abuser's conduct towards me, he called me a snitch. So then how much time did you actually have to serve? Okay, so then I was sentenced to five years and for the plea bargain where I testified against my abuser, um, which it turns out after the case, um, they let him go. He didn't get any charges on this case because he fired his lawyer and he already um, got another case for sexual assault. While he was in jail, he was targeting small men and manipulating to get the small men into his room. And then he was sexually assaulting them. And those charges racked up quite a bit. So now, no matter what, he's doing life. And they let him go on the case that we are discussing because he fired his lawyer and was going to be the one questioning the witnesses and re traumatizing, like asking, Was it me that kidnapped you? Did I rape you? Did I put you online? You know, he was. And wow. a lot of girls didn't want to speak up. And um, mm-hmm. I was one of the only ones that was willing to speak up. Um, it was very difficult because we went to the same prison and he would find rooms above my room and speak to me through the vents and the toilets. Oh, And mm-hmm. I didn't want to speak to him. So I changed rooms
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then eventually some of these, um, Women in gang activity
2: mm-hmm.
1: would get me and bring me to these rooms to talk to him. And it was, you know, one of the worst situations. And when I told my lawyer and gave my lawyer the letters that he gave me, my lawyer didn't do anything about it.
2: Well, I'm very sorry. I mean, truly. Truly, this has just been an atrocious injustice over and over and over again.
1: It was wild, wild. And then I get out. (laughs) I've got three years probation. And I asked them before I signed that plea deal, is this going to put me on a sex offender registry? This looks like something that would land you on a sex offender registry. The judge looked me in my face and told me that I did not sexually assault or offend anyone so that that did not apply to me.
0: Okay. Mm.
1: But if you read if you read the fine print in some of these plea bargains, they're actually allowed to lie to you and it's okay.
2: I don't understand how that would even be reasonable. Like uh. you're asking for advice so that you know what your next steps are in order to follow the rules. Right. And in order to do the right thing,
1: And so that didn't work out for me. Um, I do the time. I get out. I get back into my dysfunctional home Mm -hmm. at my mother's house. Um, And then I'm also back on drugs, back trying to cope. Mm -hmm. And I eventually moved out of my mom's house. That was not a place for me to be supported towards my next endeavors. I mean, and I'm grown at this point. Mm -hmm. It's nobody's job to hold my hand, but there was sure, like, nothing but beratement and belittlement rather than um, you know guidance and empowerment <laughs> so and definitely these are the same people who also um, would accept any gifts whether it be monetary or otherwise from this lifestyle that I was living but then on the other side of the coin would also like to be like I can't believe this is happening <laughs> you know and so. I had to get from there and then i went to fairbanks and i completed my probation successfully and i don't know how i was a master manipulator i was still on drugs and alcohol and i was Mm -hmm. still engaging in prostitution and Mm -hmm. you know i was able to swim right through that without any violations Mm -hmm. um and that was rough because i know I know that um, one time we went to court about a potential violation Mm -hmm. and the excuse that the defense has is that I have been using drugs as a coping mechanism for such a long time that it would not be unlike me to use drugs. Okay, (laughs) all right. Yeah, and so that got me off and I didn't, you know, and then they tried to put me in rehab. And I know that there's kickbacks Mm -hmm. for your assessments. And I know that they'll say it's, you know, everything that's free isn't always great. So I paid for my own assessment that said I didn't need rehab. And then I just swam right through the system. I know how Mm -hmm. to get, you know, I've been dodging police for a long time now. I mean, Mm -hmm. not every time will you get caught. and Not every time will you get away. Mm -hmm. But that system didn't do anything for me. And so we play this little cat and mouse game of making sure I don't go to jail for three years. And then on the last day in 2015 of my probation, they slammed me with a sex offender registry (sighs) that I never knew that I was going to have to be on. And now suddenly I have to be on it or I'm going to jail. Yeah. So I tell them I'm not signing it, Mm -hmm. hoping that I could set up a situation to get violated so we could talk this out. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even violate me about it. Huh. So because, yeah, so they just let that happen. And then I did get a few charges for um, failure to register, but I didn't know that they were all state charges and then I would register. And then mm-hmm. I moved to Nebraska. Um, to Now I live in Ohio, but I moved mm-hmm. to Nebraska um, to move in with my then fiance. And then in De- in February 2020, I was held in federal detention for 11 months wow. on a failure to register charge. And wow. now I am on probation and they say that I will have to be on probation for five years. I cannot travel to do the work that will pay and accept me. Mm-hmm. Um, consulting work will pay and accept me. Right. And I can do some of that right here, mm-hmm. like right. this. Um, mm-hmm. But there's lots of speaking gigs and mm-hmm. I was even invited to the uh, trafficking in persons conference and all kinds of things like that. And I am unable to go. My probation officer is not cool. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, and it's just terrible. Um, You know, in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I was at least this probation officer, even though they I tried to start my nonprofit and they raided my house at six in the morning and they seized all my devices. What? Why? Yeah. Trying to start a nonprofit. I don't know. And they were like, on these things, you're trying to make yourself look like the victim. (laughs) So. They took all my stuff and came back with squat. Um, I was totally legally in compliance to do what I was doing, which I knew this is why I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, just kept doing what I was doing. And then I filed to move here to Ohio, which I regret with a passion in some ways. I love the way things are here, but the people think they're in the deep south, some of them, you know, some, not everybody. Um, It's really full of culture. It depends on where in Ohio you go. I live in the country, but Mm -hmm. I'm just an hour away from Cleveland, which I love, but couldn't Mm -hmm. live there, you know. Um, So I came here for a job that did not pan out. Luckily, my husband's job was able to move remotely. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now I'm erected the nonprofit and things are just still going. But it's definitely um, a struggle because I should be able to, like right now, tell my story on my terms. People shouldn't... um, I mean, and there I am on a registry. I have to maybe explain before I engage in anything. And that's not something that I should have to do. I should be able to tell my story on my terms when I want and to whom I want and not offer an explanation to anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so does
2: so that uh, affect like speaking gigs and things for you then too? Because you aren't able to appear in certain places?
1: Yeah, I can't, they won't really let me travel. And my PO in Lincoln, I was able to go to church conferences. I wanted to go to the fair that was one state over and she didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I was really working um, 30 hours a week. Here they're saying I need 30 hours a week. Okay, well, um, I'm trying to get hired, mm-hmm. but I really don't need to financially work if I don't want to. hmm you know, I'm doing consulting and that money comes in, but it's definitely not 30 hours a week. I mean, and now I'm volunteering for my nonprofit, which is probably over 30 hours a week because I'm just getting started oh, trying to get it going. Yeah. And yeah. so I may be able to travel, but then since I'm not receiving money, is she going to nag that out? Like, I just don't know. And I don't know if these are the things that her supervisor tells her um mm-hmm. or what. All I know is I feel like. Just because I'm on probation, I'm being treated as less of a person.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's really difficult. For sure. Mm. So I know at some point in there, you wrote your book. So when were you able to, to write your book? At what point in that timeline?
1: Um, I just wrote my book probably within the last six months. Um, I thought of writing my book before, mm-hmm. you know, and I even started to way back when I was still in the life, mm-hmm. wanted to write my book. But then, you know, um, I did get saved and things definitely took a huge turn. While I was in jail the second time in 2020, um, Jesus showed up to me in person Wow. So I had a whole change of events because mm-hmm. while I was in jail, you know, with my idiot mind, I was like, well, while I've been here, I'll just get fit. So when I get out, I'll fly to Japan and be a stripper over there. I had all these stupid <laughs> plans. Right. And then, you know, God laughs when we make plans. Yeah. So then things just took a whole nother turn. Which you know was awesome, um, and it even went so deeply crazy as to make sure that I knew that I wasn't losing losing my mind. That a guard ended up breaking down and prophesying to me. Wow, who um, didn't know me from Adam?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So true. that testimony is in my book, and I talk about how I was delivered from witchcraft.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: was delivered from um, all forms of prostitution. Um, What the stripper life is really like, what the webcam model life is really like, um, what the sugaring life is really like. People um, glamorize these things. And I always see it on TikTok, you know, and even on TikTok, they're even having like little girls dancing for money. Mm -hmm. and You know, their clothes are on. But I'm just like, you're grooming this child.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, and I mean. Some of it could be cultural because I know they didn't say dance nasty, but when we were little at the cookout, you know, they're throwing dollars and we're all dancing and it's a bunch of little girls Mm -hmm. and, you know, it may be cultural, but that has to stop with the next generation. I would never, ever have my children dancing for dollars at a cookout. That's just dead new, you know? And so, and it might be all fun and games and it might be all family, but okay. So now you are you know you don't even know what you're doing but now there's that one creepy uncle who might be scoping this out you know yeah. you just don't know what's going on and so mm-hmm. i kind of share all of these experiences i talk about how i was groomed all the way to how i got to federal prison to how i got saved and to how i started the nonprofit i um share it and you know i don't really Asked too many friends to buy the book because I wrote this and I hope to get copies printed um, so I can give it out in my outreach backpacks at the um, host rolls. Mm-hmm. Those are the, what do they call those? The host roll, the track, the blade. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The area. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I want backpacks full of like hygiene and my book and to go mm-hmm. and talk, you know, mm-hmm. and have some conversations because. You know, sometimes people don't have any, they think they don't have any better options. And there's better Mm -hmm. options out there. It's Mm -hmm. just about, you know, wanting to give it a rest because, you know, not all of these girls are even on drugs. Some of these girls are not on drugs. And it's the mindset Mm -hmm. that is, they're addicted to that lifestyle.
2: Yeah. I am so grateful that you were able to share, you know, your experience, but we would love to hear how we can get connected to your nonprofit. Like, it sounds like you have a lot of things coming up. I mean, even just re-entry from prison is a huge need that we have in the community so that people have a place to register for their probation. Um, I know when I was working in fighting homelessness, we had more than one person that literally slept on the ground outside of um, the police station so they could plug in their ankle monitors at night because there wasn't another place for them to go and they were homeless. And-
1: Right there, look at this. Like
2: that's the kind of thing that I I kept seeing and we weren't able to get them into uh, homeless shelters. It was just that whole mess of things. Um, And they were literally doing everything they could to not go back to jail. This podcast is sponsored by
0: Bring Freedom. To learn more about how to prevent and end human trafficking in
1: your own community,
0: please visit bringfreedom.org and join our partnership program.
1: Um, And it is restorativecommunityconcepts.org. Okay, cool. And on there, um, we are doing three programs. The first program is called Alternative Route Reentry Services, where we will connect people up with those resources because getting out of jail and having nothing really incentivizes people to commit crimes. And if you have your basic needs met, then you can focus on what's next. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy, there's definitely if your shelter and your food and everything like that is not taken care of then um, you will go through chaos trying to obtain those things. So mm-hmm. um, there's that. And then we have We Survived, which provides resources and hopefully some other types of activities and programs to survivors of sex trafficking. Um, and then we have Elroy Auto, which is run by my husband. And Elroy Auto has a different website, but it's mm-hmm. also on there. But it's elroyotto.com. And it is a hybrid organization that provides basic mechanic services free of expense to eligible parties.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. That is wonderful.
0: That's exciting. So you have your book mm-hmm. and you have your nonprofit and mm-hmm. things and your husband and in Jesus. So
1: things are on the upswing, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good in here. The only person looking mad when the probation officer walks through is the probation officer. It's never me. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, true. Good.
2: Um, well, we have really appreciated having you on and your can camp- thank you so much. And yeah, that's why we have this podcast for people to share their
0: stories in their own voice without mm-hmm. without having to fit fit in that round hole. (laughs) It's your own story.
1: Thanks so much, Kiana. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Zona and Dixie, for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season three of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share with your community so together we can make more ripples to create waves of change.